You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Well, my friends, uh, let's go ahead in this episode of Resurrection Life uh, and talk about what is surely uh, the most painful subject possible. Uh, in a series on Christian parenting. Let's go ahead and do that. And of course, I'm referring to the subject of uh, wayward sons and daughters. Now, when I was first outlining this series, I knew I needed to talk about that subject, but I uh, put it towards the end of everything else I wanted to say. Uh, But I've changed my mind uh, about when to take up this subject. And that's because uh, I've just been speaking about the exercise of parental authority in the home during the second decade of our children's lives. And I've most recently just been talking about how to resolve conflicts uh, with our young adult uh, sons and daughters. And I think those subjects uh, naturally uh, incline our thoughts towards those situations. We know them either by way of observation or by our own experience at our homes Uh, where there is, for example, open rebellion against parental authority by teenagers, or uh, where there is no resolution to conflicts between parents and their young adult children, not for any lack of trying on the part of parents. Uh, Those are situations uh, that I'm describing when I speak of wayward teens. And I I do want to clarify that expression, the way I'm using it. Folks, I'm certainly not referring here to teenagers who simply have conflicts with their parents. Um, I'm talking about teenagers who never show remorse for sin (laughs) uh, as a result of those conflicts with their parents. I'm certainly not referring to teens who are highly opinionated uh, or teenagers who are Uh, even at times contrarian with their parents. I'm rather talking about teenagers uh, who have come to be no longer willing to listen or learn from their parents. Certainly not talking about teens that are just challenging to relate to. I'm talking about teens who uh, give no appearance of having a desire to have a relationship uh, with their parents. Folks, I'm not even talking here, as I use the expression wayward teens, about sons and daughters who get caught uh, in lies or uh, in acts of disobedience, even as serious as they may be. I'm rather talking about teens who have come to uh, have the habit of hiding uh, important parts of their lives from their parents. Uh, They're not interested in having the oversight of their parents. Now, in making that set of clarifications, I hope you can see what I'm doing. Uh, it is normal to have all kinds of challenges uh, relating to our teenagers, and it doesn't mean that our teens are wayward. Uh, indeed, it's possible for teenagers to fall into serious sin without that being part of a larger pattern of waywardness. For example, a young man uh, who gets a DUI. Uh, coming home from a friend's house, uh, may or may not be wayward as a, uh, a, as a larger pattern in the way that I'm using that word. It depends on whether that was the mistake of a moment 
or if it was typical of a whole pattern of life. A young woman, for that matter, who gets pregnant uh, with her boyfriend may or may not be wayward in the sense in which I am using the term. She may have made a mistake uh, that many good Christians have made. Or this could be, on the other hand, a pattern of a loose life that really is waywardness. So, uh, where there's repentance, there's hope. Uh, where there's a pattern of repentance, there's not waywardness in our children in the way that I am using that term. That's a point, by the way, that the larger Christian community needs to keep in mind. Don't, my friends, be quick to consider a teenager a troubled teenager or a wayward teenager merely because of one moral failing. Uh, the question is, what is the pattern of life? But friends, there is a point at which a parent comes to have the sense, the sinking sense, I'm losing my son. I'm losing my daughter. Uh, He is no longer willing to be guided by my wisdom or be responsive to my authority. Uh, More significantly yet, she appears to be walking away from the Lord, the one I have sought to be a matchmaker Uh, to uh, her and to him. Uh, That's a wayward son. That's a wayward daughter uh, in the sense in which I am speaking of it. And parents of such young men and women want desperately to know, what now? What do I do now? Now, friends, this is about as painful a subject as any in parenting, and it's also a subject uh, that I think is very difficult to take up in a podcast. Uh, I am very mindful of this, the limitations of a podcast episode uh, trying to address this subject. What parents of wayward children really need uh, is parental mentors in their lives. They need pastors. They need elders. They need folks uh, living with them and walking through this with them. And Uh, For members of Resurrection, you, of course, need uh, pastors and elders of our congregation. Um, If you're not a member of Resurrection, you need those men in your life in your local church. That's your first recourse, and their counsel, their wisdom is to be your priority. What I'm going to try to do here uh, is share some broad principles that would apply to Uh, all situations of wayward children, recognizing that there are many things that make specific situations unique and need someone who's actually uh, speaking into those situations from the benefit of of personal observation. I'm going to divide my Council of Parents uh, into two parts, two episodes, actually. I have words in this episode about how, first, uh, to shepherd your own heart Uh, in this ordeal, this trial of having a wayward son or daughter. And then I'm going to have some words next time about how to shepherd your teenager's heart, uh, at least to the best of your ability. So today, uh, five words of counsel to parents of wayward teens uh, regarding the keeping of their own hearts. And of course, that expression is an allusion to uh, Proverbs 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. I'm suggesting today that uh, the first priority of parents with wayward teens is to keep their own hearts in the unique ways that uh, this kind of trial 
uh, is such a threat to our own spiritual vitality. So number one, I'll say this way, draw near to the God who has brought the trial of a wayward teen into your life. You'll notice two things in that word of counsel. First of all, wayward teenagers represent real trials. But secondly, God is the one who brings trials, trials of all kinds, uh, into our lives. Draw near to the God who's brought the trial of a wayward teen into your life. Brothers and sisters, as someone has put it, parenting is not for sissies. There is so much potential heartache and pain in it. But in all the pain of parenting, God intends, as with all trials, to draw us closer to himself. This is elementary, but it's something we can miss in all of our concern to do the right thing with a wayward child. Some of you experienced uh, trials in the realm of raising children that involve life-threatening illness. You have felt in those times utterly, desperately helpless, and you have prayed for your children like you'd never prayed before in your life. Well, in a similar way, uh, a spiritually wayward child uh, is an occasion for great helplessness, and it's rightly an occasion for a desperate prayer. That's the fundamental to-do. Uh, it's to draw near to God in prayer. Uh, and I'm simply reminding us at the outset, this drawing near to the Lord is fundamental for his whole purpose in your life uh, in bringing this trial. Uh, your uh, and my Puritan fathers, uh, resurrection members especially, uh, will appreciate this. Uh, they've taught us well about God's purposes in trials. What are his purposes when he brings trials into our lives? Well, number one, not the only purpose, but the first purpose is God sometimes is chastening us uh, for our sins. Uh, We see this uh, as the kind of theological underpinning of our own chastening of our children. I went over that in my appeals to the book of Hebrews uh, as the theological undergirding uh, of our own discipline of our children. Uh, I quoted from Hebrews where uh, the writer says, They, our human parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, that is God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. God brings trials uh, into our lives in order to awaken us at times to sin in our lives. All of us who go through trials wonder if we're being punished for something. Parents wonder if they're reaping the consequences of bad parenting. That's not necessarily the case, as I'll say more in just a moment. But it is a fair question to ask, and sometimes it is the case, brothers and sisters, that God is bringing us through trials in order to turn us back to himself from patterns of sin. And so I would urge any of us, no matter what the trial we're going through, and to include parents with this specific trial that's our subject today, ask the Lord this, is there any area of sin that you're trying to get my attention upon? If there has been unfaithfulness in parenting or in any other area of your life, this is the time to confess that sin to the Lord. And this is the time to be renewed in your relationship with him. He is 
eager to receive you in your confession of sin. He is eager to pardon you. He takes delight even in your repentance. And all of this will lead uh, to greater intimacy with the Lord. On the other hand, God is sometimes not dealing with us through trials in light of our sins. Sometimes it's just the opposite. He's dealing with us uh, in light of our faithfulness. That also is something our Puritan fathers uh, were careful to teach us. He's sometimes putting our faithfulness to the test. Uh, We know this, of course, from the story of Job, who suffered trials, not because of sin that the Lord saw in his life, but because of his faithfulness. Do you remember how the book of Job opens? The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? You remember what Satan says in response, You let me at him, God. He won't be so upright when I'm finished with him. I paraphrase. My point is the trials uh, that Job endures under the sovereign hand of God and, yes, through the agency of Satan, become a test of his uprightness. They're not a chastening for his sin. They're putting on display God's work of grace in his life. But notice, passing the test for Job will require his, once again, drawing near to the Lord. Friends, there's nothing inherently edifying about trials in themselves. Uh, They're only sources of spiritual growth when we, in response to pain uh, that comes with trials, draw near to God. And whether it is God chastening us for sin or putting our faithfulness to the test, friends, he's always seeking Uh, to strengthen our faith and draw us closer to himself. James begins this way in his famous letter in the New Testament, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is so much stress Uh, that comes from having a wayward child. And our focus is often on the outcome. Lord, give relief. Bring this this back. Uh, This wayward child, bring this child back. But recall, my friends, uh, that God is, is interested not just in the outcome, but he's also interested in what is produced in us Uh, by the journey, by the trial itself, the steadfastness, this trial of having a wayward child, I think it is among the hardest of all trials. Uh, But it can, in new ways, uh, endear us to the Savior and, and Him to us. I am reminding us of these elementary things in this area of the role of trials in our lives because I start... Uh, giving comment on this subject, so keenly aware. Brothers and sisters, if you're going through uh, this particular experience of uh, a wayward child, I am aware it is one of God's heaviest burdens. It's one of his uh, hardest trials. Uh, And I'm reminding you that uh, trials of this kind and of every kind are in his hand, uh, his intention to bring us closer to himself. So first and foremost, be mindful of that and draw near to God 
uh, as the one who has brought this trial into your life. I trust that's not too elementary uh, for me to remind us of. But moving on, number two, uh, a second drawing near that I want to call for. Brothers and sisters, draw near to your partner in parenting during a hardship that in some ways uniquely threatens marriages. Uh, Friends, uh, strains in your dealing with kids are strains in your relating to your spouse. Differences in how to deal with problems in wayward children create tensions between our spouses. Various uh, tendencies to assign blame uh, create strain with our spouses. Just the fact that there's stress in your life uh, in general is no friend of marital fellowship. In some cases, I um, am mindful, uh, wayward teens themselves can actually try to uh, divide mom uh, and dad. Uh, And so, again, at the risk of saying something that may seem so obvious just to be unnecessary, your partnership with your spouse is only the more vital when you're dealing with a wayward child. Uh, So devote the time, the thinking, and the planning, and the praying that's needed with your husband, uh, with your wife. Uh, The statistics are quite clear. Uh, Crises can put the kibosh on marriages. So see this as the threat to your marriage that it is and resolve by the grace of God to stand in opposition to that threat. Whatever is called for in the parenting of a wayward teenager, brothers and sisters, commit. If you have a parental partner, if you're married uh, to a Christian brother or sister, commit to doing it together. Uh, Come together in prayer. Come together even in fasting. Come together in seeking counsel. Come together in making decisions and carrying out a plan. And if this tension with your young adult son or daughter reveals tensions in your marriage or long-standing problems in your marriage, then please get the help that you need from those who can counsel you in biblical ways, your pastor, your elders. I was talking recently with a very dear friend Uh, who has a wayward young adult daughter. Uh, And after uh, a great deal of pain, over a period of time, uh, this daughter recently announced she was going to seek a legal marriage uh, with her girlfriend. And that, of course, was the occasion of even more heartache uh, and deep pain. As I've counseled this, dear brother, um, one of the things I keep asking is, how uh, is it with your wife and with you? Uh, Do you see things the same way? Are you uh, together in your uh, response to this pain? And uh, one of the things I've rejoiced at in this particular situation is that the testimony has been consistently, yes, we're on the same page. We are thinking the same way. We're united on it. And brothers and sisters, I do not take that for granted when I hear it. Uh, Parents, your holy ambition, if God has called you to deal uh, with a wayward child, uh, is to... Uh, Go through that uh, season, uh, actually drawing even closer to your husband, going even closer to your wife. Uh, God is that good, and he's able to do that, bring that blessing to that trial. So draw near to the Lord. Draw near to your parental partner. Number three, uh, brothers and sisters, I will say it this way. Slay the dragon of parental pride. 
that gets in the way of parenting wayward teens. Now, uh, when children prove to be wayward, it indeed can bring an immense sense of shame to Christian parents. And this is a reality that the Scripture itself speaks of, Proverbs especially. Proverbs 10 describes a wayward son's laziness as a source of shame to his parents. It says, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 19 speaks of a wayward son's defiance of his parents as shameful to them. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. And Proverbs 28 speaks of the the playboy son, if you will, as a shame to his father. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. This theme of wayward sons and daughters bringing shame to their parents. Uh, folks, that's a phenomenon you see in the scripture. It's a phenomenon that we see among uh, the people of God and in ourselves. I'm leaving aside the whole question just now of whether there is any connection between the waywardness of our children and a lack of faithfulness in our parenting. I'm actually leaving that question aside. Sometimes there's a connection. Sometimes there's not, I would assert. But in either case, where there's a wayward child, oh, there's so much that's potentially devastating to the pride of his parents. We want to be proud of our kids. And they can, in fact, become instead sources of shame to us. Wayward children are potentially that. And friends, I'm wanting to point out that parental shame is a potent thing. It tends to put a lot of torque on our parenting. Sinful pride, in other words, can get in the way of doing what we want to do, what we need to do as parents. And yes, I have a few examples of that. Number one, uh, parental pride can prevent us from admitting the very problem of a wayward teen. Our pride can blind us as parents. And I talked about that in the case of toddlers. I'm now talking about that in the case of teenagers. Sometimes, friends, it can actually seem like everyone but mom or dad is seeing the problem. I think in my experience, wayward teens have two kinds of parents in this respect. I'm oversimplifying just a little uh, to make a point. Two kinds of parents uh, that I've seen in wayward, uh, in situations of wayward teens. Some parents uh, get defensive and eventually distant. Uh, So I have in mind those who become very adept at, for example, offering excuses for their kids' behavior, or they begin to withdraw from those in their lives who might be inclined to express concerns about their kids. They're defensive and they're distant. That's their response to having wayward teens. On the other hand, there are parents uh, who are very humble and very honest. Uh, They're very forthright about what they're dealing with. They will not mince words about it. They're eager for their uh, friends, uh, pastors and elders to pray. They're eager for counsel and Folks, do I need to tell you which kind of parenting is humble, uh, which kind reflects 
pride that's getting in the way? Which is the kind of parenting that's most uh, likely to do good in the life of that teenager? I'm pointing out that uh, there ought to be enough humility in us as parents uh, to share our struggles uh, with our wayward children. And there ought to be, by the way, enough charity in our churches to rally around such parents uh, and to respond to their humility and to respond to their honesty with support and love and and prayer. Parental pride can prevent us from admitting the very problem of a wayward teen, but parental pride can also lead to our dealing with a wayward teen in anger rather than in love. I also have had occasion to talk about this. I think we are at our worst as parents when we're parenting out of pride, when our motive in our parenting is more tied to what people think of our parenting than what God thinks of our teenagers. We have all had these moments as parents. Uh, We're expressing disapproval to our children of something, but not on the basis of whether it's right or wrong, wise or unwise. We're really expressing disapproval to our kids in light of how it made us look. By the way, if you happen to be a pastor of a church, this ulterior and uh, very ignoble motive uh, can be especially uh, present. I confess it. Oh, but I do think uh, that those moments we've all had of frustrated parental pride uh, can become a parent's whole M.O. And the relationship with a wayward teen isn't just threatened in those cases by his sin, uh, but the parent's sin Uh, of wounded pride and all the exasperation of it, that becomes its own threat to the relationship with the wayward teen. Folks, this is those uh, ugly moments when in sinful pride, dad says to a teenager, you embarrass me, you know that? Or says, I'm ashamed of you. Or even says, you're a disgrace to this family. These things can actually be true. But when they're said, it's devastating to a relationship because those are not expressions of love. They're expressions of parental pride. This is the kind of dragon I'm calling on us to slay by the grace of God. Uh, Parental pride keeps us from admitting the very problem. It can lead our hearts to deal with uh, our teenagers in anger rather than love and Not least of all, brothers and sisters, parental pride can make us slow to seek the God-ordained help uh, that we need. I'm just going to touch on this now. I intend to return to this in my next episode. But if you're a Christian parent with a wayward teen, you need help. There's help to be found. Uh, If you're a part of a Christian community, a church, but you are going to need to be humble enough to seek and receive that help. In my experience, counsel and support for parents with wayward teens tends to come online very late in the game. And it comes online late for the very same reason that, well, marital counseling often comes very late in the game. Those who need the counsel are too proud to acknowledge the problem. Going back to those two kinds of parents that wayward teen 
wayward teens have, the defensive and distant parents, well, they're not going to get help. The humble and honest parents are going to get that help. I've seen parents with the instinct early to enlist the help of their pastors and their elders. And brothers and sisters, this has included, in some cases, the elders in my church with issues with their own children. I've seen parents, on the other hand, with the instinct to give everyone in their life the Heisman (laughs) when they're dealing with wayward kids. They turn in, they withdraw, and their wayward kids make little spiritual recluses out of them. I am especially saying these things mindful of the fact that uh, there are parents of young children uh, who are listening to this podcast. Um, Can I just say to you, you don't have a clue yet how insecure and vulnerable we parents of teenagers can get when we're beginning to see bad fruit in their lives. So try to understand that. Uh, Try to get a sense of how that could be. Uh, But if you're a parent of young children, resolve now uh, that if the time comes when you see in your children real waywardness, you will go quickly in all humility uh, to those that God has appointed in your life to be of help. And if you're that parent grappling right now uh, with pain and shame and self-doubt that goes with having a wayward son or daughter, just remember that a little... Humility, a gift of God himself, uh, goes a long way. And this is um, basic to keeping your own heart uh, in the trial of having a wayward child. Slay the dragon first by seeing it for what it is. Then forsake pride so that you can embrace in love your wayward child and do the things that are most in keeping with his or her good. Moving on now to number four and still thinking of ways to uh, seek to form our own uh, hearts, shape our own expectations and our own uh, perspective on what it is we're going through. Number four, take your cue from a heavenly father's way with his own wayward children. This is where I want to point out to parents for their instruction and, yes, for their encouragement, sense of hope. This problem of wayward children is actually a big theme in the Bible. And whether you've thought of it or not, the grieving parent in most of it is God himself. So there's a world of instruction in making a study of God's own parenting of his own wayward children. Of course, I'm speaking of the biblical way of representing the people of God as his children and the testimony in so many parts of God's word to waywardness in his children. You remember how the book of Isaiah actually begins the very second verse of the first chapter. God says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. So much of what God is saying to his people in, his, in the uh, books of the prophets uh, is couched in those terms. He's a parent dealing with them as children who are wayward, whether it's Isaiah speaking of children that have been reared and then have rebelled, or Jeremiah where 
Chapter 3, God says, Return, O faithless children. Or the book of Hosea, uh, which includes these words, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. That's God dealing with wayward children uh, there in the nation of Israel. You could actually argue this is the story of the Old Testament, God dealing with wayward children. The reason I'm pointing this out is that uh, when you find yourself parenting a wayward son or daughter, you actually have a model in a heavenly father for how you are to think of your own role uh, towards your children. It's God himself. You can uh, take your cue from him. Now, that's a big study. And I'm actually proposing that parents with wayward children make this their study. Go to the scriptures, particularly with this in mind. How does God relate to kids who walk away, so to speak? Can I tell you the two things, uh, at least two of the things that you'll find in God when you do such a study of his way with wayward children. On the one hand, you'll find that God parents wayward children with incredible patience and long-suffering love. That's the story of the Old Testament. Wayward children and a long-suffering father. God is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, he tells Moses, God warns his wayward children in love. I remember the time early in my ministry when it dawned on me that warnings are, in fact, signs of love. I've talked about that already in this series. God warns his children because he doesn't want them to fall uh, under the consequences of their own sin. He goes beyond warning them. He pleads with them. Uh, Look at the book of Hosea for that. He woos his people back to himself with promises of blessing. And in all of this, he is an example to parents of wayward teenagers. This is a word for parents, moms or dads, who might be inclined to reach for the parental sledgehammer with their wayward sons and daughters. No, no, friends, take your cue from the Lord. If you do, there's a lot of relational work uh, to be seeking to do with that wayward son or daughter. We're going to be coming back to that in the next episode. I'm simply setting the stage for it now. Uh, If you have a three strikes and you're out view of parenting a wayward son or daughter, you're a long way uh, from the heart of God. He is so patient and so long-suffering with wayward children. On the other hand, not only does God parent wayward children with incredible patience and long-suffering love, but God also parents wayward children with uncompromised expectations of them. I'm going to put it this way. Those are the two poles of biblical testimony towards God's parenting of wayward kids, and both need to be present um, in our parenting of our wayward sons and daughters The second part of that is found as well in the story of the Old Testament. Uh, God is not only incredibly patient and long-suffering, but he ultimately does hold his covenant children accountable. The wayward son, Israel, eventually does suffer consequences for his rebellion. And that consequence is from the hand of his father. 
Uh, Let me say it this way. God as a parent of his own wayward children doesn't act like his relationship with his son, Israel, is of ultimate importance. There's actually something of greater importance to God in his relationship than his relationship with his uh, son Israel. That thing of greater importance, well, it's his own honor. It's doing that which is right and good in his own eyes to uphold his own glory. And friends, uh, it is possible um, as parents uh, to act as if nothing is more important Uh, than our wayward children, than our relationship with them. And so parents can come to have a preserve the relationship at all costs, by all means, doing whatever it means, uh, doing whatever it takes to hold on to those sons or daughters, even if it entails shielding them from the consequences of their own sin. But parents, there always is something more important, uh, even than our own children, young or old. Uh, And that, of course, is God's honor his unadjustable standards for how we're to live and please him. I think parents with wayward children can be tempted to define down what God requires, even in some cases to the point of changing their minds about fundamental biblical teaching, like what it says in the God's Word, for example, about lesbianism, homosexuality. When I come back to this next time, I'm going to speak about what holding wayward teens accountable looks like. For now, I'm, I'm just emphasizing this, too, is part of what heavenly parenting looks like, God's own parenting. He doesn't warn and plead and woo forever in his love. He is also willing for his beloved children uh, to suffer the consequences uh, of their own rebellion. So God loves his wayward children despite their waywardness, yet he's clear and uncompromising in his demands of them. This is a model for us. But number five, my last word in general uh, to parents as they uh, keep their own hearts in the trial of uh, dealing with wayward children, take great comfort, brothers and sisters, In this biblical theme of prodigal sons who return to their fathers. I conclude my remarks in this first podcast uh, by pointing parents to something that ought to be very encouraging. There is a pattern in the scripture of prodigals, another name for wayward kids, who come home. Of course, um, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is uh, on my mind as I say this. And for parents of wayward kids, that's a story uh, that's very precious to us. The ending of that story is famous and, and so encouraging to us. The prodigal son returns to his father. I'm aware that this parable is addressing realities that are bigger than parenting, but uh, my point is that that theme in that parable is actually a theme in the Bible. For that matter, you could say it is the theme of the Bible, mankind uh, as God's wayward children, the elect of God as those children who, in fact, return uh, to their father. There are, of course, 
heartbreak cases of wayward children in the Bible. Uh, I think of uh, the son of Eve, Cain, or the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, or the favorite son of David, King Absalom, uh, or Prince Absalom, rather. But there are heartwarming cases, are there not, of wayward children uh, that return to the Lord. Jacob is a wayward son who returns to the Lord. David himself uh, is a wayward son at one point in his life who returns to the Lord. And Solomon as well. Even wicked king Manasseh uh, returns to to the Lord, a wayward son that returns to the Lord the very end of his life. And my point is the Bible is full of this particular kind of grace, not just the kind of grace uh, of God to rescue the lost in the world, but also the grace that reclaims wandering covenant children, the sheep that wanders from the fold. Friends, I cannot give you a guarantee that God will restore to you your wayward child Um, if such is what you have. Uh, But I can say this in light of this theme in Scripture, it would be so like him. (laughs) Uh, This stands to reason, doesn't it? If God, the God of heaven and earth, is a parent of wayward kids, you'd expect that his waiting and warning and pleading and wooing would have good effect and that he would indeed make this one of his favorite purposes in the earth, uh, to reclaim wayward Sons and daughters, what I'm trying to do here is uh, point to biblical, you might say theological grounding for parents to hope in the return of their kids who are wayward. If God himself is a parent of wayward kids, yet his plan of redemption is sure to come to fruition, and that means he has a special delight in bringing prodigal sons back to their father. If this is where you are, just now, please hear me. It may look like your son, your daughter is so far gone, it's hopeless. But brother, sister, it's not. God has reclaimed and restored many a child that's gone further afield than yours. So act in faithfulness. We'll talk more about what that looks like next time. But look to God for his blessing. Trust in him. Do what is right. Keep your heart in a hopeful frame of mind on the basis of God's character, God's ways with us in grace, even as you faithfully seek to parent a wayward son or daughter. Well, let's put a bookmark in the subject for now. Next time, I want to try to offer counsel about how to relate to the rebellious teenager, uh, what to do with that rebellion. But That can wait until next time. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord use these meditations on a weighty subject indeed uh, to be a blessing to you. You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.